Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 2 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes In Defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. Podcast 56 is entitled The Precious Bane, Part 1. In Book 1 of John Milton's Paradise Lost, Satan and his angels are cast out of heaven. Satan, in awful majesty, rises out of the lake of fire and exclaims, Is this the region, this the soil, the clime, said then the lost archangel, this the seat that we must change for heaven, this mournful gloom for that celestial light? Be it so, since he, who now is sovereign, can dispose and bid what shall be right, farthest from him is best whom reason hath equaled, force hath made supreme above his equals. Farewell, happy fields, where joy forever dwells, hell horrors, hell infernal world, and thou profoundest hell, receive thy new possessor, one who brings a mind not to be changed by place or time. In trying to make a heaven of hell, Mammon, one of the chief devils, builds the city pandemonium. Mammon led them on, Mammon, the least erected spirit that fell from heaven, For even in heaven his looks and thoughts were always downward bent, admiring more the riches of heaven's pavement, trodden gold, than aught divine or holy else enjoyed in vision beautific. By him first men also, and by his suggestion taught, ransacked the center, and with impious hands rifled the bowels of their mother earth for treasures better hid. Soon had his crew opened into the hill a spacious wound and digged out ribs of gold. Let none admire that riches grow in hell, that soil may best deserve the precious bane. In this and the next podcast, I use the term precious bane to represent anything that can be both a blessing and a curse. It is the idea that a curse can be turned into a blessing, or a blessing can be turned into a curse. We have a choice, a thing that is denied Satan and his fallen angels. A familiar scripture related to the concept of precious bane is found in the last verse of Matthew 11. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. When we think of a yoke, we often think of a yoke of oxen. Then consider the analogy of two oxen yoked together, pulling a heavy burden. When reading the above scripture, almost immediately comes to a Christian's mind, bearing the cross of Christ. Luke fourteen twenty seven, And whosoever doth not bear his cross, and come after me, cannot be my disciple. When the rich young man came to Christ and asked, Good Master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? 
The Savior answered, Mark ten seventeen through 22 One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. I would like to pursue the image of bearing the cross, using the yoke in a slightly different way. When I was 10 years old, my family moved to a 63-acre farm in Cherokee County, South Carolina. The town was called Asbury, but it only had a school, a dozen churches, and a small convenience store. Our little farm consisted of a modest farmhouse, over a hundred years old, and a very large garden in which my father mostly grew corn. The rest consisted of forest and pasture. The pasture was extremely large, considering that we only had an old plow mule, a cow, and a calf. The mule was used for plowing, the cow was used for milking. The only purpose the calf had was to give me grief. It would not stay in the pasture. I was sometimes called home from school to chase the calf. She could escape through the smallest breach in the barbed wire fence. I would repair the offending hole, but the industrious calf always found another, as if escape from incarceration, like a lifetime prisoner, were her only goal in life. Finally, my father came upon a solution. From a willow, he cut a large yoke that nearly dragged the ground and fastened it to the recalcitrant calf's neck. The yoke wasn't heavy, as it was made of thin branches, but it was bulky, too long to go between the widest hole in the barbed wire fence. The purpose of the yoke was not to burden the calf or to punish the calf. The purpose of the yoke was to keep the calf within the bounds of safety, that is to say, to keep her inside the fence. I've thought about that young calf many times. Symbolically, it has become a sort of precious bane of intellectual contemplation for I have learned much from that odious experience. It occurred to me while contemplating the above scripture that a yoke serves an additional purpose, perhaps the opposite of two oxen yoked together pulling a heavy burden. The yoke is also used to keep us within the bounds of safety, or to put it in Christian terms, to keep us within the boundaries of the law of mercy. Discounting temporal law, there are two other laws that we are accountable to in this life. One is the law of justice, and the other is the law of mercy. The law of justice is the absolute controlling law of the universe, in which all other laws, temporal or spiritual, are held accountable. The law of justice must always be satisfied. It cannot be robbed. It is the true eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth law. It was because of the law of justice that Christ sacrificed himself for our sins and instituted the law of mercy. Justice, however, placed conditions upon the law of mercy. If we live outside of those conditions, we become subject to the law of justice, which is unforgiving. Consider the fenced pasture to be the law of mercy. Consider all territory outside of the pasture to be the law of justice. Now consider the fact that the only way we can stay in the safety of the pasture is if we obey the conditions of the law of mercy. We call those conditions the commandments of God. While reading Ephesians 4, think of the seven churches spoken of by John the Revelator. Paul establishes the purpose of the church. Ephesians 4, 10 through 13 
He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The church is inside the pasture. The church teaches us the conditions of the law of mercy. The church governs the flock. Notice what happens when saints venture outside the pasture. Ephesians 4.14 That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Paul further describes those who live outside the pasture. Ephesians 4.18-19 Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Like Paul, John the Revelator saw heaven. Those who live in the safety of the law of mercy have their names written in the Lamb's book of life. John describes it this way. Revelation 21, 1-4 And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Of those who live outside the law of mercy, John said, Revelation 21, 7 through 8 and 27. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, shall have their part in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abominations, nor maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Those who overcome are not perfect people. Those who overcome are those who continually repented and called upon Christ. It is the rebellious who fall under condemnation. The Savior said, Matthew 5.19 Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Through the Apostle John, the Savior revealed. Revelation 22, 11-15 He that is unjust, let him be unjust still 
And he that is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according to his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in the gates into the city. For without are dogs, and sorcerers, and whoremongers, and murderers, and idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. My observation has been that often a yoke is placed upon us that helps us remain in the boundaries of safety, or within the boundaries of the law of mercy, so that the law of justice cannot claim us. For it is the law of justice that condemns us, and it is the law of mercy that saves us. I think of the following yokes that have helped me stay within the boundaries of the law of mercy. 1. Caring for and raising children. Those who claim that children are not a burden must have had children with perfect lives. I have discovered that being a father never ends, even when one is a grandfather and a great-grandfather. Their sorrows become my sorrows, their joys my joys. Mary and I had six daughters. I never wanted to disappoint my daughters or to cause them to lose faith in me. For that reason, I tried to adhere to a higher standard, one that they could be proud of though I have more failings than I care to confess to. Because of my daughters, I tried harder to live up to their high expectations. I wanted them to stay in the green pastures of the law of mercy. Therefore, I tried harder myself to be there with them. 2. The Commandments of Christ The commandments define the ideal life. Christ referred to the commandments as a yoke, a labor, as heavy laden. All the commandments are based on the principle of causality. Spiritual laws are no more exempt from the cause and effect relationship than are temporal laws. The principle of causality gives certainty to law. Without the principle of causality, we could not exercise faith or have free will. Fortunately for all of us, one of the greatest blessings of the law of mercy is the principle of repentance. The principle of repentance is one of the greatest gifts of Christ that helps us stay within the conditions of the law of mercy. Could there be a greater gift of God than the forgiveness of sins? He made it possible for us to return to the Father's presence and live with Him forever. As John said, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city, meaning the new Jerusalem. 3. Providing for one's family Such responsibility certainly kept me from idleness. Balancing family and career is challenging and rewarding. Linda and my combined families make 13 children, 43 grandchildren, and 5 great-grandchildren, as well as our extended family. We understand large family. 4. The Burden of Maintaining Health Preserving health requires one to abstain from substances that God has forbidden or that science has proven to be detrimental or that were particularly bad for an individual's health. It also requires a balanced diet and active and regular exercise. There's so many more yokes or burdens we could list, some that are unique to our own personal situation. But in retrospect, many of our burdens have actually aided us into holding a steady course, or have even assisted us in getting back on course. In addition to fatherhood and motherhood, there's citizenship, education, love for others, sense of duty, sense of responsibility, sense of humanity, 
conscience, compassion, unselfishness, generosity, natural virtues, inborn traits. The list is endless, and as children of God, there is the potential for divinity in all of us. We all know our own yokes that have influenced our behavior and made us reach beyond ourselves. Sin burdens as safety nets, rather than burdens gives added meaning to the Savior's words. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Think of rest as rest in the kingdom of God. Think of yoke as the commandments of God. The paradox of what Christ meant when he said, My yoke is easy and my burden is light, becomes clear. Easy yoke or light burden appear to be oxymorons, incompatible or self-contradictions. But when one considers that the yoke keeps one in the bounds of safety, one realizes that life is much harder outside the boundaries of safety. How much misery exists in the world today simply because we have abandoned the Ten Commandments? Three things occur when we take upon us the yoke of Christ. One, we are strengthened so that we can more easily bear the burden. Two, we are given divine directions on how to solve our problems. And three, we do not have to face the heavier burdens caused by violation of law. When Christ, through his apostles, said, The wages of sin is death, he is referring to temporal death and spiritual death. Can there be a heavier burden than that? Let me invite you to consider the precious banes in your life. Perhaps you could even list them. It could even be a mother, a father, a friend, a teacher, or a neighbor who never gave up on you, but who annoyingly continued to encourage you even when you didn't want their encouragement. We shall conclude this podcast with Christianity's favorite psalm, The Symbolism Cannot Be Lost. Psalms 23 The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Simply ask yourself, what has kept you in the green pastures, beside the still waters? which are found only inside the boundaries of the law of mercy. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.